you know, some of the technologies that we adopt here in, in Australia uh, are still a little bit behind what they do in, in the US uh, and in, uh, in Europe, especially around, let's say, you know, threat intel and that kind of, um, you know, focus on, on the attacker and the, and the tactics, techniques, you know, processes of the attacker versus here in Australia, we still, and I think, you know, you can't not do it, but we still take that risk governance, compliance and, and apply technology uh, to that. Listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Lani, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. I think our good friend Scotty Fletcher introduced us a while back, actually, because I was chasing a topic which we are going to speak about today. And it's funny because before you and I spoke, it's kind of like I already knew you, but I, I had seen you a lot online. So really <laughs> appreciate your time coming on the show today to talk about robotics. So before we jump into that, we always like to ask our listeners a little bit about their journey. So Lani, please mm-hmm. talk to our listeners around where you sort of started and what are you sort of doing now? Sure. And thank you, Chris. Look, the pleasure is all mine. I've been a long time follower of the, uh, of the podcast. So to get an actual opportunity to appear on it, it's very uh, humbling. So thank you for uh, reaching out. Now, in, in terms of my background, look, I, I won't bore the listeners too much into every detail, but over the last 25 years, boy, that, that makes me feel old. Over the last 25 years, I, I have been involved in what's now called cybersecurity. Um, you know, think back 25 years ago, 1997, 98, um, I started in what's now called malware research, which is back then was called antivirus research. It's very rudimentary compared to what, what uh, is being done now. Uh, back then, it was very simple languages, disassemblers, et cetera. Uh, signature file matches into AV, you know, files. Very, very basic. Something that probably high school students could do with their, uh, you know, with their eyes closed these days. But um, you know, as with many, progressed through the uh, security consulting path, uh, working at both vendors and systems integrators, uh, and um, also expanding outside of, of of cyber into now what what's known as more of that emerging technology field. So think IoT, the Internet of Things, uh, smart cities, uh, technology. AI robotics, which is what we were talking about today. But primarily, it's always been through the prism or, or the lens of cyber. I, I took a bit of a, not really a detour, but something that um, is probably unusual in our profession is um, back in 2015, I, I graduated with a master's of psychotherapy and people go, you did what? <laughs> and, uh, and what I usually try to explain is that, look, for, for me, right, tech is only interesting, and it's especially emerging tech, is only interesting in the context of people and how it affects uh, our communities, how we improve our communities and society at, at large. To me, that's what makes it interesting. Otherwise, it's just tech for uh, tech's sake. So graduated back in 2015 with a master's in that. Uh, I, I did it through, um, I guess, an interest in, in leadership, really organizational development and leadership. But you know, going through a cohort of 50-odd uh, uh, people, there were three of us who were, who were doing it from that leadership stream. Everyone else there were you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, social workers. And so for the first three years, we all went through the same program. And then, you know, the last year was our, you know, our, our separate streams. And, and from that, I guess I fell in love with actually uh, being a therapist, you know, sitting with people, being invited into, you know, into their life space, how they, how they construct their, their worlds, et cetera. 
Uh, and so I, part-time I volunteer at our local community center and, and primarily I, I deal with, look, you know, um, the, the sort of what I call the worried well. So stress, anxiety, loneliness, especially over the COVID period. Um, I, I don't do much in trauma and, and sort of more of those clinical issues only because I don't have the skills and I don't really have the time to, to spend doing that really delicate, complex type uh, work. But in terms of what we're talking about today, it's helped me understand and give me more a holistic view on things like robotics, right? In, in terms of, it's not only the technology that's sort of driving it, it's also there's the ethical lens, there's the, especially when you're looking at it in the context of, uh, let's say aged care or disability care, you know, there's a huge part of where the people empathy and that come into it. And for me, that just gives me that sort of holistic, sort of well-rounded uh, approach to it. And it also comes in handy in understanding people in, in business, you know, understanding people that you lead, connecting with um, executives, et cetera. Um, it just, yeah, you know, it better helps communicate, but also, you know, if you're looking to influence, build relationships, et cetera. So I do that on the, uh, on the side and people often go, wow, that's, that's very different. Uh, and, and it is very different. Uh, lately, I've probably spent a bit more time in the consulting world. So spent a bit of time in the big four of consulting world was recently a partner at Deloitte leading their smart cities practice and, and part of my cyber work, leading their critical infrastructure capability. And very recently, like in the last two years, have sort of dabbled in the, um, the startup uh, slash uh, VC, the venture capital space. So I, I helped co-found a, a cyber startup, Cybermetrics, which I sort of work from an advisory perspective. I don't really work in the business itself. And uh, I helped co-found a venture capital advisory and firm called uh, Ascend, which has a, a future of cities uh, mandate. And again, it's more a, of an advisory role as, uh, as an operational role. Unfortunately, I just don't have time at the moment between a, a full-time job at Clarity, running their ANZ region and doing all these other uh, side projects. But that's, yeah, look, in a, in a nutshell, over the last 25 years, uh, Carissa, that's, that's it. Wow, that's awesome. I really like your journey. I really like how you've sort of brought in other things to enhance your current skill set. One of the things that really stuck out for me as you were speaking was talking around the context of the people. Would you say mm. that most people in our space probably overlook that a lot? They really focus more on the tech rather than what the tech can do for people at the end of the day? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, that was, the, that was absolutely the case, let's say, 10 years ago. It, it has improved. You know, I, I think that, um, and again, I'll generalize, but I think society as a whole, there's been a lot more, uh, you know, the conscious movement towards, you know, even things like, you know, gender equality, racial equality. And I think that kind of movement at that level has helped even in the tech space in terms of, uh, I'll give you an example in the, in the smart city space, right? Especially, I mean, the, um, I remember back in 2014 when I first sort of uh, got into that uh, space, a lot of it was just technology for technology's sake, right? Hey, we can have autonomous lawnmowers at the, um, uh, you know, at the showgrounds or whatever it is, just because we can. Hey, let's put, uh, you know, devices, uh, you know, in cities, cameras, etc., and connect them all up, just because we can. Where, you know, where now it's very much looked in the lens of what well, actually, how do we help our communities become more cohesive? How do we help uh, and impact for the better society at large? How we work, how we live, how we play. And we've, and we've sort of now starting to take that lens and that route to when you're designing technology, designing processes, which I think is, is absolutely key, right? Because, because otherwise, as I said, technology just becomes tech for tech's sake, as opposed to actually helping people, helping communities, helping society as a whole. Yeah, you're so right when you say that. I absolutely agree with those points. 
Let's okay. Let's talk about robotics now. Before we jumped mm. on, we were speaking around people's definition of robotics. So, give me your definition of that, so people know specifically what you're referring to, and that way we're all on the same path. Yeah, that's a great question. And look, I I don't think at the moment, right? People people often go, "Hey, you're a you're a futurist, Lani," and I say, "No, absolutely not. I'm not. Uh, I'm too practical and pragmatic for that." I always view it in the lens of what's happening over the, when it comes to tech over the next five, maybe 10 years at the most. And so in terms of robotics, I really don't think at the moment you can really have a, a, you know, a, a good conversation about it unless you talk about it in the context of its application or its use case you know, uh, is usually how I refer to it. Robotics to me as a, as a whole, right? people often go, oh, they think of Star Trek, you know, Data, the Android, and, uh, and that's their idea of robotics. But really, it's, t- to me, I look at it as a, a physical uh, and digital system uh, combined, and it can be as simple as a, a robotic arm at a you know, in a car manufacturing or a steel factory. Some people even define drones as as robots. So I look at all of that, you know, sort of under under a broad umbrella, and then I look at it in terms of its use cases. How is it used? Uh, industrial robots. That's that's easy to understand. You know, I mentioned uh, on the manufacturing plant line, simple things. You know, robot arms, etc., packaging, etc. That that is uh, robots medical in terms of surgery, you know, where they supplement a, a surgeon's uh, skill to operate on patients, et cetera. Um, you know, robot arms, robot. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but there's a show on uh, Netflix called uh, Robot Wars where, you know, for entertainment, we have robots destroying each other kind of thing. And then, um, oh my God. then there's the military yeah. and, and police sort of use case. But um, yeah, so th- it's probably not much of a definition as such, but I, I tend to look at it through the, its application and use case. Yeah, so one of the things, first of all, I haven't seen that show. I'll have to check it out. Uh, but it's interesting when you speak to people within the industry. So when I mean industry, I mean IT more broadly rather than specific to security. I think they become perhaps a bit overwhelmed by it because maybe people think that robots are going to take over the world and all the crazy talk. So what do you sort of think about that? Like, can you sort of debunk mm. that myth that people seem to carry a lot in the space or even more yeah. broadly yeah. for people publicly listening to this episode? Yeah, look, I, and uh, to be honest, I, I, probably, I joke a lot when, around that and people often say, I think I'm serious when I refer to our, our future robot uh, overlords. Uh, but um, look, I, I often say to people, you know, they go, oh, what, what about, uh, you know, we watch Terminator, et cetera. And it's like, yes. Um, you know, isn't that what's going to happen when, uh, you know, 30, 50 years into the future? And I usually say, look, that's, that's remotely possible, but it's highly improbable in terms of uh, that's actually what's going to occur. And we, look, 50 years out, who knows what, um, uh, you know, what robotics, and especially when we start applying um, artificial general intelligence, not just machine learning and its different, uh, you know, techniques, deep learning, et cetera, that we have uh, prevalent now, but when we apply artificial general intelligence, you know, I, I tend to go, maybe, maybe not. I mean, there was that uh, a few years ago, there was that uh, famous letter that was signed by a whole lot of, you know, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates, et cetera, um, showing their concerns around AI and how, and where it was hitting. I say, who, who knows, right? I'm, I'm really more concerned about the next five or, or 10 years. And I think in, in that next five or 10 years, we can do a lot when it comes to robotics to actually improve, uh, you know, human lives and improve our society as a whole. So on that point, can you sort of paint a bit of a high-level picture of what's happening in, in the robotic mm. space? Let's go with the five to ten-year mark. Yeah, yeah. So again, right, it's um, 
let's look at its applications or, or its use cases. Um, my primary interest when coming into robotics was more on the IoT side of things, as I mentioned earlier, the Internet of Things. And um, what I'm finding is that field of IoT and robotics are now beginning to converge. And it's been happening for uh, a few years, still fairly nascent. Um, and now it's called the Internet of Robotic Things, right? Which is primarily the, the differentiator is that that IORT now, goodness, um, specifies that any robotics architecture, so think of a, let's think of it the most simple, think of a robotic arm that's used in the uh, automotive industry to put, help put cars together. As soon as you uh, connect web services to that, connect it to the internet, et cetera, it then becomes that internet of, uh, of robotic things. So that's, that's one of the, the, the major trends, I guess, that's, um, that's going at the moment. Uh, things like it's visual robotics, visual systems, uh, and it's that visual system into integration into its sensors is, is always improving. You know, uh, for instance, uh, cars, et cetera. Even I've seen CCTV cameras in terms of its use of a uh, mixed mode of sensors like LiDAR, radar, uh, you know, visual and even audio uh, sensory. And then on the back end, that being mashed together in terms of a, uh, in a data lake. Um, using techniques like applied machine learning on the actual robotics itself. And, in, in, you know, in uh, more sort of uh, general speak, we, we talk about edge computing. What we're seeing now is a lot of that edge type computing, especially machine learning, uh, is now being done at the edge, right? So rather than backhauling a lot of that into AWS, GCP, or, or uh, Azure, there are, you know, there are companies like Intel, AMD, uh, ARM, et cetera, who are, are giving the ability to do that at the edge on the chip or on the, on the actual robot slash device itself. So that's uh, happening as well. And, and I guess, you know, while I'm thinking of it, the most concerning use case I have in, in that space is that things like drones are now being uh, outfitted with machine learning algorithms to do things like facial recognition, et cetera. So from a privacy perspective, that's a, you know, that's a growing concern, but also to, you know, when you think about from a, um, uh, it's use of robots slash drones uh, in military and policing, it becomes, you know, especially concerning. I don't know if you're aware of a story that's um, fairly recent last year. We're on the battlefield in Libya and even in Syria, some of the um, combatants on the, uh, on the military field are starting to use drones, which actually carry uh, munitions, weaponry, et cetera. Bombs is probably the most rudimentary. And then having those drones employ facial recognition to, to basically carry a, a small bomb directly into a you know, soldier slash soldiers, or you know, if you extend that out, or targets, right? And there might be collateral damage, et cetera. And, and the, I guess the big difference there, right, is that at the moment with the drones and its current use is that the operator has to intervene. So the drone might, you know, using its visual systems, identify a potential target, and then it will kick it back to the actual um, operator to make the decision. The operator doesn't usually make the decision. It usually, you know, there's usually a, uh, somebody there to, to oversee it. And, uh, you know, it, it might even go to a group or a panel of people to oversee it before the strike is, um, uh, you know, is uh, approved. But at the moment, in terms of its autonomy and using facial recognition systems, I think the most concerning bit is, is that, right? Giving the, giving the ability for the algorithm to actually make the decision to, you know, strike or not. And for me, that's a concerning. And, that, and that's, I guess, is one of the developments, especially in drone slash robot technology, autonomous weapon systems. I, I think that is probably the most concerning thing for me around uh, the robotics, uh, you know, uh, sphere. 
Yeah, that leads me to my next point because I was just going to say with all these new sort of developments that are that are happening that are good, I mean, it can go either mm. way, right? So you spoke a little bit bef- just then around like the weaponary side of things. What other things from your sort of perspective does concern you when it comes to robotics? Because you are a realist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, as you and I would know, right, technology uh, – it's not really neutral. It's really how you use technology. I suppose, yes, tech can be neutral in terms of what it is, but again, its application and, and its use case would dictate whether that's for, you know, that's destruct, destructive in terms of for society or whether that actually makes a positive uh, impact. And I think that that is the, the military aspect of it is probably the most concerning for me. The other one is around policing, etc. I, I don't know if you've um, seen footage of, uh, you know, during the COVID era, uh, there, there's a manufacturer, one of the largest in the world, Boston Dynamics, has made robots in the form of, of dogs that actually now start to patrol parks, et cetera, in the US uh, and can hand out fines, et cetera, if, uh, you know, if you were uh, breaking curfew, et cetera. So, I mean, that, that again, right, it's, it, there is definitely a, a, a positive aspect to it or positive intent, but it really starts to um, uh, skirt that fine line between uh, becoming a police state and, you know, and, uh, imposing on your privacy, et cetera. Uh, so that, uh, you know, the, the policing aspect of it uh, is one as well. And I guess for me, it's, it's, it's not really robotics as such, but how, how AI is being, uh, I guess, um, developed at the moment. You know, I, I'm, the, I'm, not a, I'm by no means an expert in, in the field of AI. I'm more sort of interested in the AI ethics of it, which I think is just as important as the actual algorithms and technology and the research that we are doing. And I guess for me, it's that that is probably one of the other concerns is when we start to fuse that uh, into robotics, who you know, which can move fast, run fast, strike in terms of uh, military uh, and slash uh, policing. I, I think that's that's where for me it starts to get real uh, concerning, and it's not it's not far off, right? Again, we Boston Dynamics. I actually did some work with uh, that and a company called ABB Robotics, who are the two of the largest robotic firms in the world. Some of their robots, um, yes, they take a lot of training to do, but I don't know if you've seen the videos and doing parkour, et cetera, they've becoming very, very uh, agile, nimble, you know, being able to uh, display extreme sort of dexterity uh, as well. So from a physical aspect, that's one. And then when you start to sort of merge the intelligence uh, into it, you know, I, I think there could be possibly be a, uh, you know, a concern down the track. Hmm. So that is quite concerning what you've, especially about the dog situation. I'm sure. I'm, I wonder how that would go down in Australia. People are already going crazy about police, let alone yes. uh, ro- robotic dogs going around and mm-hmm. sort of issuing fines. Would you say, though, Lining, that we're sort of entering potentially into dangerous territory because now, and you sort of touched on it before around skirting around the edges, is it going to be hard for people to navigate sort of that moral compass? And I mean, if you look at any sort of innovation or people that come purely around just developing something, they don't think about privacy and security and stuff like mm. that. Yeah, look, I, and I always um, look at it through the lens of the, the, the culture that the context is in. Like, for instance, in the Western, in the Western culture, I, I think, well, I, you know, I hope that we would be more... I guess, vigilant against those kinds of uses for uh, robotics. Um, you know, we are, you know, Western democracies, we do have a vote ultimately in, in, in terms of what we do have a say in, in society. So I would like to think that we are, you know, we have some controls that we can sort of uh, apply around that. 
you know, in, in some of the other countries and some of the other areas that, that don't sort of adhere to that sort of Western uh, democratic model. Yeah, look, it probably is a little bit more concerning. But again, right, the, the technology was originally developed. Like those robot dogs that I mentioned, for instance, they were actually originally developed by Boston Dynamics for works in, in mines, you know, and, and particularly when there are mine disasters. And rather than sending a, a team of humans down to, to save people who are trapped, you know, you can send these robot dogs with video sensors, heat sensors, you know, et cetera, on them to, to, to find people to, to rescue. So its original intent is, is good, right? But obviously that can be taken and used in other sort of applications or, or use cases as well. So how do we sort of manage that then? Because, yes, I totally understand what you're saying. Like like I mentioned earlier, you can go either way in terms of, yes, mm. using it for good or potentially using it for, for bad uh, in, this, in, some, in some cases. So h- how do we sort of manage that then? And will it get to the stage where it just spirals out of control? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't know in terms of, uh, you know, you, you're asking for a futurist, I'm not one, but <laughs> I don't know in terms of, of that future sense. But in, case of, in terms of what we are doing now, a lot of it, like, you know, there, there are, like, uh, the UN released, recently released a, a report, and there's a lot of, you know, signatories around the, the different countries, et cetera, where they're looking to restrict uh, autonomous weapon systems. Um, but unfortunately, other countries like, uh, you know, China, Russia, and some of the other sort of uh, countries in that um, in the Eastern Bloc have not signed it. So there, there are sort of work at the UN level in terms of, look, let's, let's all get agreement, a bit like nuclear disarmament, let's all get agreement that we're not going to go down this route um, hopefully from a, at a global perspective, that's, you know, that, that will have some, um, you know, push, but, and again, right. We've seen, you know, it done even at companies like Google, sometimes just the pressure from the public or even the, you know, the, uh, the, the staff that work for the company pressurizes, you know, the, uh, or applies pressure for the company not to go down that route, not to develop that kind of, uh, of, of technology and, you know, a bit like people power, so to speak in inverted commas. Do you think that that works though? Because, uh, I mean, people can say I'm against it, but does that mean that people, as in people like Google are going to deter them from doing what they want to say, irrespective of what the people say perhaps? Yeah, look, I, I think it can, right? Especially in the, and we're going a bit outside the, um, the arena of robotics, but especially in the era of, of, of social media and, um, you know, a lot of these large companies are, are concerned about social impact, uh, et cetera. I, I think definitely they're, it's a, it's an avenue, right? And and it's I always look at it in terms of look, it's it's better you try something in that regards and then do nothing, and allow you know people to go down a certain path they're already uh, heading down. Yeah, I yeah I totally agree with what you just said just then. So on that front, because it is a security podcast, I would really <laughs> like to talk to you about security for robotics. Are we sort <laughs> of prepared for this at all? Look, we're, we're already uh, doing uh, work in that space, right? I, I, I operate in, um, at the moment in the critical infrastructure space. So if I look at uh, things like mining, uh, which is covered under Australia's critical infrastructure uh, security act that's being amended at the moment, I have been using robotics, um, you know, in terms of crushes to crush iron ore, copper, and in terms of robotic arms to, you know, sort out... Um, sort out metals, et cetera. They've been using that for a while. And, and in terms of security, even though in that, in the mining space, uh, security has been a little lax, I would say over the last uh, decade, getting better. We've already started applying. I think it's been, look, largely just, um, 
laissez-faire attitude, I would say, to, to security. I am, I'm, I'm being a bit hard because actually mining, et cetera, has been probably one of the maturer sectors uh, globally and even in, in Australia, right? Because they have such a, um, an emphasis on OHS, you know, um, occupational health and safety. I've, I've found that, you know, their high regard for that safety, physical safety aspect has meant that they're, they're probably ahead in terms, of, in terms of some of the other sectors. But sectors that rely on that sort of critical, OT, what we call OT, operational technology, has, has generally been a little bit behind in terms of maturity around cyber than, let's say, financial systems, uh, just because of the, nat- you know, the nature of it. And in, in terms of mining, right, if you think of um, a crusher, a robotic crusher right, that crushes, uh, um, you know, rocks and extracts, helps to extract uh, metals or, or, or minerals, that will usually be connected to a, um, what we call a PLC, a, a programmable logic controller, which provides the digital interface to that um, robot, let's call it that. And then that is connected to an HMI, which is a human machine interface, usually a Windows machine. And then you apply your security controls to that Windows machine as you would endpoint um, privilege access management, you know, identity and access management. So we've been doing that in the mining space uh, for a while, in the manufacturing space, you know, for a while. And I'm saying for a while over the last five or 10 years. So cyber in the context of robotics has already been done. Some of the different use cases, though, uh, are still fairly nascent. Drone technology, for instance, is is, is a lot more uh, immature because it just hasn't been around as long as you know mining in terms of that application and use case. So, you know, I think I mentioned when we uh, spoke earlier. Uh, I've been involved in a, in a project for one of the defence contractors to actually look at uh, underwater drone tech. Uh, so the use cases. A, ordinarily for under warships or, you know, you could even apply it to, um, to the private sector under ships, large container ships in general, in order to check under the waterline, you would need to deploy a, a series of divers. You know, it's not, it's not overly dangerous work, but there is a, a risk a component to it. So as opposed to deploying a team of divers that may only be able to work, you know, two or three days a week, um, you know, let's say two or three weeks in a month, et cetera, they're starting to test and deploy uh, underwater drones to actually do the the checks of uh, the ships below the water lines. You know any damage that needs to be done, any weak sort of structural issues. You know using visual uh, and also heat sensing. So any visual uh, things to do around predictive maintenance, etc. So those underwater drones are, are fairly new. I would say the last three years at most. Now. Securing that versus securing something like a, a crusher at a, a mining site, very, very different. So, you know, when you're looking at a drone, the focus uh, primarily is, so this is, I, I look at it and there's, um, and you can apply, you know, a security sort of reference architecture to, architecture to it. I look at the, the, the risks on the drone itself to be probably a lot more higher than you would on something like a, a crusher that's connected to, let's say, a PLC. So the drone itself is obviously a, a a combination of you know motherboards of chips of etc of firmwares so that device security becomes a lot more important the communication uh, channel between you know that and the human machine interface could be via radio could be via sometimes it works even over like things like ble bluetooth uh, low energy and so those protocols are in, are inherently not as secure and so you've got to look at that that channel as well. And then on the actual human uh, machine interface as well that controls the drone, you've got to look, and that usually sometimes runs on a Windows uh, machine, you've got to then look at security of that. So it's 
it's um, it depends on the use case and it changes uh, on the um, on that use case and especially things like drones, which are a lot more newer, a lot more nascent. So would you say that potentially, I mean, you've spoken about mining sort of leading the charge from what you've sort of mm. touched on. Are we going to get to a stage where there's frameworks then perhaps so other industries and other sectors can start sort of adopting this sort of technology, perhaps maybe that no one has has done something in their space before. Maybe that's why that they haven't sort of adopted to it uh, as quickly as other sectors like mining that you've sort of just touched yeah. on. Yeah. And, and that's and, and that's that's true. So if you're looking at drone, if you're looking at drone technology, it, it, because it's fairly new, there hasn't been a standard for sub, you know, for security in that, or even much uh, reference architectures that are you know that are been ratified by like the IEEE or the standards, um, you know, association. But there are reference architectures out there. I, I think I spoke uh, mentioned earlier that there's a, a, a merging or a blending of things like the Internet of Robotic Things. So there are a lot of uh, IoT reference architectures out there. The one I like to use is a, is a local one from the IO, IoT Alliance Australia. They publish a, a really good reference architecture to essentially map out uh, from the endpoint they call it the which is the could be the device, could be the drone, the sensor, etc. Right up to the the industry solution very, very broadly, but there's, there's like 10 sort of domains in between. And so I, I like to use that NIST, NIST have a framework that you can sort of uh, um, make relative for robotics. So there, there are frameworks out there. You just have to take them and then, uh, you know, use it in the context of, of the robotic use case you have, the application of it. Yeah, sure. I understand what you're saying. And I guess hmm. sort of as time prevails, it'll become a lot more ubiquitous with, like robotics in fine, you know, the financial sector, for example, yes. or, or whatever it may be. It's just it's too probably early days to to apply that to every single thing that we have at the moment. Yeah, so it is. I mean, on- when I will say it is flexible, right? So I use that framework for uh, exactly mining as I've described, but there was also a you know it was a very short engagement um, that we did that I did maybe. 18 months ago at looking at um, uh, concierge robots. I don't know if you've ever come across. There are some you know, hotels yes. in it that you go into now here yeah, and you, you have a little concierge that rolls up to you and says, you know, hello, blah, 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 et cetera. So we were brought on to- I think Telstra's got one, don't they? Yes. We're in the Telstra yeah. building down in Melbourne there and they had it. Yep. It was quite cute. Hmm. So there are those concierge robots, you know, I applied using the same IoT Alliance framework to it. Um, but the because you put a, a risk you know, assessment sort of lens over it, um, the, the way you apply it is slightly different depending on the use case. But yeah, look, we, we looked at it. We- the biggest weakness in those robots were, you know, a man in the middle attack in terms of the, the protocols that they used didn't have a very strong, uh, you know, authentication in terms of uh, SSL. And so essentially right. you could man in the, and unfortunately because the engagement was scoped right down, we could only do a lot of theoretical, uh, we didn't actually do it, you know, do the actual um, exploit, but we, we theorized that you could essentially do a man in the middle attack and then take control of the robot quite easily. Um, but again, right, from a risk perspective, there's very low risk in terms of uh, likelihood and impact if you were to, uh, you know, other than brand damage, you know, et cetera, or even if you, you know, one, one of the things that the uh, the board when we presented the report was, you know, oh, but what if, what if someone, you know, took command of this robot and, and drove it into one of the dignitaries that were there at the hotel? So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it moved so slowly that, uh, you know, it probably wouldn't cause any damage, but yeah, you could do that. I guess the risk is a lot lower compared to like a mine, 
uh, situation, the crusher or absolutely. going mm. deep into water. Oh my God, that freaks me out so much. Yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely yeah. Be, I'd be sending the robot and I wouldn't be sending myself in. Uh, so on that front, in terms of like skill set, would you say that there are many people in, well, let's use Australia, for example, if you want to speak globally, have a, however you want to position it in terms of security for robotics that exist out there? Yeah, look, I would say that um, you could, uh, your, especially the technical skills, uh, absolutely there's a crossover and it can be applied to robotics almost immediately. Um, as I said, if you've worked in the IoT space, um, if you've worked in uh, even things like critical infrastructure, OT, uh, industrial IoT, the skills that you have there from a security perspective are almost immediately transferable uh, into, uh, into robotics. And it would be like even even the medical use cases, like um, you know, I did a um, an assessment. Well, this is about two years ago, on uh, medtech equipment within a, a hospital uh, context. And even then, in terms of the the tools that we use to to do the the assessment and you know the uh, the red team of of their medtech um, you know biomedical equipment was basically the similar thing that what we used in, in most of our engagements. It's just the context changes uh, a little bit. It took a little bit longer to uh, to actually get into the corporate IT network of the hospital and make a jump into their uh, you know into their sort of trusted environment, but again, it's it's still relatively the uh, the same. So I, I would say from a skills perspective, the skills are in the market at the moment, especially the hiring technical skills. We just don't see at the moment in Australia the the same use cases as they see in somewhere like North America or even in uh, in EMEA in Europe. Why do you think that is? I look at uh, technology adoption. You know, uh, Australia ANZ tends to be a little up. bit, a little bit slower. I wouldn't. I, I said the gap is closing. Uh, you know, having been in, in technology now for twenty five years, the gap is definitely closing. But there still is, um, you know, a, a bit of lag time there. Why do you think the gap is closing? Like over your, you know, over the last twenty five years, you you say it's closing, but what? What do you think sort of made it close quicker? Is there anything in particular mm. that sort of springs to mind? I would say globalization. That, that would, uh, for, for me, that would be key, right? And, and the world has become, you know, thanks to telecommunications, the internet, uh, you know, the world has become a lot smaller. And so technology adoption, where it took months, uh, sorry, where, you know, we were, let's say five years behind 25 years ago, it's, it's now very, very narrow. But adoption at scale is, uh, you know, it, you know, in cyber, right? You, you've got a background in cybersecurity as well. You know, some of the technologies that we adopt here in, in Australia uh, are still a little bit behind what they do in, in the US uh, and in, uh, in Europe, especially around, let's say, you know, threat intel and that kind of, um, you know, focus on on the attacker and the, and the tactics, techniques, you know, processes of the attacker. Versus here in Australia, we still. And I think, you know, you can't not do it, but we still take that risk, governance, compliance and, and apply technology uh, to that. So in terms of adoption, would you say that executives, I mean, in your experience or what you've sort of seen or people that you've spoken to are looking to sort of adopt robotics into their organization, even mm. if potentially they're, they're not from a mining or they're creating like weapon area or anything like that? Would you say that people are starting to think down those lines? I think from a uh, from from a military perspective, yes, definitely. In some of the work that I've done with the large uh, defence contractors, they are, are looking at it. Uh, the development is not done here in Australia; it's been done in the US. But the Australian uh, defence force, etc., uh, is definitely looking at that, especially like the uh, the Australian naval uh, 
uh, research in terms of underwater drones that are used for for good. I'll put an in inverted commas, but also have a use case. So, you know, uh, a drone that uh, clears a minefield, for instance, can easily be adapted to lay mines, for instance. Um, so yes, that, that's definitely being being looked at. But even in the um, in the private sector, you know, I, I did some work for one of the largest, um, uh, the largest uh, grocery, uh, you know. Store. There's two large ones. I did work for one of them that looked at, um, they were looking at implementing, I think they already have, right? Because this was about a year ago and what they call an automated, um, uh, you know, warehouse, which is similar to what, uh, you know, Amazon does with its warehouses, which is completely dark, but uh, where they will have at the, you know, in the present, they would have people going around picking for online orders and your know, restocking comes in, et cetera. You know, that warehouse might have anywhere between 50 to hundred people working in this dark warehouse, not open to the public, et cetera. But using one of the platforms that they, that was developed out of the, uh, out of Great Britain, a company called Ocado, it's completely automated. So, you know, you have robot pickers that go to and fro uh, from storage boxes, picks up the groceries, puts them in, you know, in an order, et cetera, that gets picked up and shipped out completely that 50 to 100 dark warehouse now becomes a warehouse of five people that basically maintain the robots, uh, et cetera. So even in, you know, in that sort of grocery slash retail sector, there is, um, you know, there is a, twent- a trend towards uh, robotics. Mm, yes, yes, that's definitely sort of what I was trying to understand. Well, I guess, I guess time will tell. It is still early days. Uh, so, I mean, as, as things sort of roll on and as, as people can – adopt to creating this innovation and understanding that they can uh, develop robots for good in inverted mm-hmm. commas, mm. uh, <laughs> then perhaps people will start thinking down those lines. So in terms of moving forward as a security industry, how do you think that we should better prepare potentially for this new age of robotics? I think, look, it's being, and this is one of the benefits I find of our industry is that because we are on that cutting edge of, of technology, usually, um, I, I would say that we are really, really well placed. As I said, the, the skill sets that you require, I, I feel, are already already in the industry. It's just that we don't have a lot of, let's say, you know, if I put my put my sort of um, supply side hat on, we don't have a lot of enough work to become really um, specialized in it at the moment. But I think the, the the rudimentary skills are already there in terms of the technical skills. And, you know, you overlay, like, you know, I was talking before about reference architecture, you overlay that architectural strategy uh, lens to it, which we already have. And then on top of that, you apply your standard, uh, you know, risk governance compliance lens. You know, if you're in the, in the power industry, there's, you know, you're covered by the, uh, by AEMO's uh, AES CSF framework from a cybersecurity perspective. You know, we have the Security of Critical Infrastructure Act, which will cover robotics as well as, uh, you know, uh, as that. So I think, as I said, we, we, we already have it. Um, it's just that we just don't have enough um, work, enough engagements to really specialize in that at, uh, at the moment. But they will change. I mean, as I said, we, we are that gap that we have between North America, the EU and, and ourselves in terms of technology adoption is closing. Mm. And I guess once the demand is there, people with those skill sets that you referenced before will be mm. able to sort of migrate and move across into those areas because there's that need or that high demand. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll give you one other example. Really, really cutting edge is um, an area of robotics. It's called swarm robotics, right? Where you have uh, miniature robots the size of, let's say, your hand, but you have hundreds of them. Uh, and what's being developed at the moment is trying to mimic what happens in nature. So if you look at, you know, a flock of birds, how they fly, they all move 
you know, uh, together, you may have, you might have 50 to hundred birds, but they all seem to move as one organism. Well, we're now trying to apply that to uh, robotics, drones, et cetera. So military drones now, they're trying to build that intelligence where using, again, machine learning algorithms, the drones themselves, they mesh, would, you know, instead of uh, going back to command and control all the time, they mesh together and start to make decisions based on, you know, parameters, et cetera. They start to make decisions on, on where to go, what to target, uh, et cetera. So that, that area of robotics, swarm robotics, is really, really cutting edge. I don't know of anyone here in Australia that is, um, you know, that specialises or has any experience of that. I don't certainly don't, but um, that will come. You though. Sound so like you, the you'll closest have... to it, though. <laughs> <laughs> only, only from what I wrote a, a, a position paper on it um, about a year ago, and that's about as close as I uh, I got to it. But that that kind of you know sort of leading cutting edge will eventually arrive, and then you know, mm. as with everything, we will develop skills and, and get more experience, hands-on experience onto it. Yeah, sure. No, I really, no, I really appreciate you saying that, like a very, very pragmatic, uh, realist response. So my last question for you, Lani, is what sort of advice would you have to executives on how to approach robotics if they're, if they're listening to this episode and they started to consider it, even if they're not in those other sectors like mining, for example, hmm. and how would they then consider sort of security at the forefront of this? Yeah, look, I, you know, for executives, I, I would, if you take a business lens, lens uh, to it, you know, depending on if you're looking at Forrester or Gartner, et cetera, I think robotics uh, is expected to be nearly an $80 billion business by 2028. I think at the moment it's about a, a 20, 20, you know, roughly 20 billion with a compound annual, compound annual growth of about 20%. So even from a business perspective for your, you know, for board members, et cetera, and I've presented on robotics at, uh, at board level before, it really is an opportunity for, for executives to, to take a hold of. And it's an opportunity for, even if you look at simple things like it's an opportunity to make their businesses run more efficient, you know, uh, operations a lot more efficient, you know, in terms of the number of people, even in terms of, um, you know, the, the underwater drone use case I gave, even for an occupational health and safety perspective, not having a team of divers, you know, in the water all day, but having a robot do it. There's those business opportunities, you know, to create new products and services to improve what you're currently doing and make it more efficient. So from a business perspective, if you approach it, putting your business hat on, it would be negligent of you as an executive, as a board member, et cetera, not to um, find out more about it and see how it can be used inside uh, your organization. You know, look at things like um, machine learning or I hate to use the term, but AI techniques, you know, about five, you know, five years ago, it was not spoken about, in you know, executives or, or boards, but now every board that I talk to wants to know about AI and what's happening because they know and they see and they've seen examples of it on how it can benefit their business, improve their profit margins, you know, make their customers happy, etc. So if you approach it from that perspective as a, as a business executive, as I said, you'd be negligent not to find out more about it and find out how it can improve your business. I absolutely love that. And that is huge, $80 billion in 2028, which is not that mm. far away, really, when you think about no. it. Yeah. Wow. This is awesome. Really, really appreciate your time, Lani. Uh, like I said, I've never had anyone on the show before to speak quite in depth about robotics, so I really appreciate your thoughts and your experience in the field. If people perhaps have a question for you that I didn't ask you, how can I go about getting in contact with you? You can find me on Twitter or, or on uh, LinkedIn. Just look for uh, Lani Rafiti and you can find me there. I'm always happy to connect with people, um, you know, like-minded people and, yeah, look, share 
collaborate because uh, I think you know uh, if, if you look at those soft skills I think it's in that collaboration it's in that information sharing which will help things like uh, cyber within uh, robotics love that awesome learning well appreciate the, your time and I can't wait to get you back awesome thank you Chris I really appreciate it uh, thank you for having me on thanks for tuning in we hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.